Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Albo's most reflective work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And wait, before we start this episode, a reminder, the, the Doof Media fan art competition is going on right now, so get in your fan art before the end of this month, and uh, it'll be good. <laughs> you might win some money. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and get people to appreciate your art, because I'm sure it's great. There's not enough packed fan art. Make more of it. Yeah, exactly. Why not, huh? Um, anyway, on with the show. Uh, we're here to talk (laughs) about Malfeasance 11.5. Um, Blake's back in the Hillsglade house. He's allowed in, and, uh, he tries to not immediately lose that privilege by treating Rose as badly as she is treating him. (laughs) Um, you know, you do have to wonder... This is how Rose saw arcs one through seven, right? Like, I'm assuming how Blake feels here is how Rose felt. Like, you mm. know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about how fair those feelings are. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, Rose was constantly having to like, play nice. Yeah, she exactly. Yeah. She kind of constantly felt like she had to bend to to Blake's will, um, because he was the one with all the power. Uh, and and it's like a little bit different here, but. I can see this sort of being what Rose was growing was going through to some extent uh, back well, then. Well, yeah, I don't know. I feel from like from her perspective, I feel like we've been treating Rose pretty fairly, but <laughs> I don't think this is a fair comparison because Blake was never openly hostile to Rose, right? Like, sure, they had their moments of antagonism, but they were always on the same side. Um, I mean, yeah. They just, they're such different, they had such different ways of going about it. It was easy to forget that. Um, I do agree mm. things are sort of more hostile. And I think Rose is intentionally treating Blake worse than he ever s- tried to do to her. But yeah, uh, like, I think it is unfair to say that he was always super considerate of what her needs. He kind of yo-yoed on that, I think. Mm. Um, I know it has been a while. Like, I, I, this is something I'd love to keep an eye on as we, as we sort of go through the story another time. No, I think you're right that he was never super considerate towards what she actually needs. But having said that, he tried. Oh, he did. Well, he kind of tried. (laughs) (laughs) No, he definitely, he he put in a lot more effort than she has so far, uh, now that the tables have turned. Um, Yeah. 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 Wait, uh, I I mean, I think there's a speech later, and I suppose we'll get into it then, but Rose sort of finally lays out exactly sort of what, what she thinks Blake is or, or, you know, represents or why he was made. And I think it's sort of, I think subconsciously we'd already sort of talked about all those bits and pieces, but having Rose sort of succinctly summarize exactly what her thinking on Blake is right now kind of really made it all come together. And I sort of get why she's being like she's being, um, Mm. yeah, why she's acting this way. It, it sort of clicked for me. Uh, we'll talk about it more when we get there, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so Blake kind of fills in Rose on what he's found out and the encounter with Alistair and the others. Um, it's fine. Uh, Rose is obviously being pretty antagonistic throughout it, but there are a few points where Rose has to kind of accept, yeah, that actually was a pretty good idea, Blake. Um, and she is so <laughs> reluctant. It's very fun. Yeah, all her responses to things that he he does or says, you know, like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we already knew that. (laughs) Wouldn't hurt, I guess, if you helped. Uh, It's so begrudging. And, yeah, yeah, um, I mean, on the other side, it it hurts even more because Blake is kind of, he's pushing so hard to make a case for himself. He's like, and then I did this and I found out this. And Rose is just giving him nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Um, 
it's frustrating, right? Um, and eventually yeah. Blake kind of gets frustrated by it enough that he starts to freak out at the others for being so untrusting um, and tries to understand where Rose is coming from, but she just doesn't give him an inch. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I want to quickly touch on is uh, there's a bit where uh, Blake yells at them uh, and then he sort of thinks, uh, I-, I regretted it immediately. I could feel notes of fear from the others, even Rose. I liked the clarity it gave me, even as I hated the idea of it on a cognitive level. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is a real like, oh, oh no moment, uh, I think, because he's he on a fairly substantial level. Like he, he mentions it first, he's enjoying scaring the bejesus out of his friends. I mean, we talked- yep. We talked about how he kind of gave Tiffany that fright last chapter as he got here. And, uh, I mean, yeah, this is something we've sort of been tracking, I think, since since the reveal that Blake was human. Like, this whole, you know, picking sides of your otherness versus your human side. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is an oh-no moment on, on that scale, <laughs> I think. Um, and I like that it's coming now because we, we, we'd kept such a close eye on this and it, it sort of felt like it hadn't move too far like we hadn't really seen any of these moments of like saying uh you know i'm picking this part of myself or i'm transforming this yeah but now he's kind of gotten what he wanted he's in the house he's working with his friends and so i like it even better if this is sort of going to be when it starts to happen because it's like he's sort of got everything he's wanted he's reconnecting with the things that made him human Mm. and it's like is that is that going to be enough yeah i i like that there's another moment in this chapter where blake has to blake calls himself out because he has to intentionally force himself to think of the cabal as his friends and it's it's a it's a bit of an innocuous moment but i like it because it's him losing that thing that is his tether right he 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 has to yeah. force himself to say oh no wait these are my friends this is my anchor to my humanity <laughs> I mean, he doesn't mm. say it that explicitly but that's how you kind of read into it right yeah yeah for sure um, um also i just you know as as much as i i think most of this chapter i'm going to kind of be defending rose and saying that i, I get most of her decisions here mm. uh, and this chapter really humanized her a lot for me um but the bit where she's like oh i was just testing you to try and get a rise out of you like, oh, fuck off rose <laughs> yeah um so at this point it becomes clear that rose does have a reason for how big of a dick she is being to blake right um and blake yeah. tries to understand that reason and tries to get her to say what is the reason let me let me get it let me be on the same side as you guys and she's just so n- no <laughs> she's just so not on board with that um yeah it's i don't know it would be a frustrating position for blake to be in or to be in yeah well i mean and that's actually kind of what wins her over eventually like she basically uh she basically tells him most of the key points um after he sort of says this is killing me like you're just shutting me out like can you just tell me there's no way it's worse than like what i'm thinking mm. and um you know, it's like, you know, Rose, can you imagine being like, you know, dependent on someone who won't tell you anything and just keeps running off and doing things without telling you? Like, can you imagine, Rose? <laughs> like, um, I mean, she can't because that, that all got erred. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, I, I still think the, the resemblance stands. Yes, fair. Um, and basically, the reason that Rose seems to give here is Blake is the warrior. And it seems like although he does do things in vaguely helpful directions, he's he's basically <laughs> unpredictable enough that Rose wanting to kind of micromanage and be in control feels like she can't kind of have that with him. And he's too unpredictable to to rely on in that sense. Yeah. And I mean, considering everything else about him has been erased from her memory and so she's basically working off the knowledge that he was created as someone who was basically designed to like continuously get in fights until he died 
or caused enough mayhem that Rose could come in and, and capitalize on it. You can yeah. see why she wouldn't want him around now that she's out of the mirrors. Yeah. Uh, it it makes... I, I think I think we sort of talked about how we didn't quite hold all of her assholery against her because she was always making smart plays or we felt like there was going to be a reason. And this really feels like it to me. Like This is like, okay, I can see how if that's the knowledge you're working off, Blake would seem like a real liability because he's sort of inherently volatile and unpredictable. We've kind of memed about him always trying to go off and fight some behames, but it's true, right? Like, yeah. that's that's his go-to move when he doesn't know what to do. And I can see why, you know, obviously they're at war, and so that can be useful in the right circumstance, but it 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 is a liability to have someone that's so mercilessly aggressive. And, and another point that Rose makes that, you know, we've echoed on the show before is um, Rose talks about how after the Toronto contest... He went. Yeah. He couldn't rest. He just went and straight straight away went back to fight. Uh, and Blake's like, so oh, I had a reason, and obviously he he didn't. Not really. Um, I mean, yeah, good yeah. points by Rose. <laughs> oh, absolutely! It's a fantastic example of exactly what she's talking about and why she has every reason to to be nervous. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that she was able to piece together that exact scenario. Um. But, like, yeah, I mean, I guess, basically, Blake really is the Eva of this pair f- from from Rose's perspective. Like, you can see how she's the Andy and he's the Eva, because Eva's very much the same. She's, like, volatile and basically Andy just has to point her in the right direction and, and hope, uh, you know, her violence is, is in the right direction. And that's basically mm-hmm. what Rose is sort of thinking of Blake. It's like, he's just this maniac and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm so much more on her side now that sort of, now that i know this is what she's thinking of blake like i think she's wrong and i hope that they can work together a bit more but and she'll maybe see that and and see that there's hope for him but just based on this knowledge her nervousness is so understandable yeah yeah no i i get it i think i'm i'm starting to get on the rose hate train a little bit more this chapter but i do see some of her points here um Mm. eventually before they can keep arguing though tiffany comes in to break up the spat um, Evan returns and Evan basically informs everybody, hey, uh, the other Thorburns are coming, so let's get ready to deal with this annoying situation. There's a nice little detail here that um, I haven't, I didn't get to go back to the other chapters and check, but uh, I noticed Rose refers to her as Tiffany uh, and Blake always calls her Tiff. Like, I think mm. it's a nice little bit of writing that helps separate the two of them a bit. Mm. Uh, it, it's in the it's in the kind of context though of Rose being like, "Thanks, Tiffany, for breaking that up." Where I can kind of see it as <laughs> as it's a one off because she's just being kind of snarky, just because it's a very Rose thing to do. True, um, I, I still think that's indicative of how different they are, at least in that moment. Then, no, though, for sure. Like Blake is such a personable yeah uh, person, whereas you know Rose is standoffish. Seems like a relaxed way of putting it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, the Thorburns are on their way, which is fun. They're always, uh, <laughs> fun, I guess is the right word. They're, um, innocent in this world. Uh, awfulness is, is pretty great. Like, they're just, they're just troublemakers, but they don't even really know what they're doing. They're like the bumbling idiot troublemakers. <laughs> yeah, they're very fun. Um, so interestingly, there's this beat here where the rest of the cabal, I think led by Ty in the conversation, kind of convince Rose that with the other Thorburns coming back, she should tap into Conquest's power here to be her most intimidating and kind of collected. Um, but she doesn't want to. And there's this kind of small bit of vulnerability where she seems like she doesn't want to use Conquest 
I, I suppose because it, it, it's kind of that vibe of I don't want to give up that 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 kind of control over who I am. Yeah, it's interesting. Like her nervousness, uh, her nervousness actually made me. At, at first, I was thinking, oh, is this like how does this manifest? And so far, all we've seen is, I mean, she just becomes conquesty. Um, mm. I, I, it makes me wonder if maybe there's something more to it or, um, you know, it, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's basically her just embracing this aura and she's going to, you know, wake up after she's tapped the power and just be like, oh God, why did I do X? Why did mm. I do, you know, kind of like, kind of like a weird drunkenness or high type thing. Yeah. Um, where you sort of wake up regretting your actions. Um, but yeah. Especially yeah. because she just did fight Jeremy while she was uh, drunk, presumably. Uh, there was a yeah. bit of drunken negotiation, which presumably has not left a good taste in her mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll be interested to see a bit more of this, because I agree, like, there's even, as she's leaving to go and, you know, prepare herself, like, physically as well as, um, you know, tap into the conquest power, there's a bit where she's actually quite nice to Blake, as mm. she, she's kind of like, you know, please don't make me regret this, and it's like the most human she's treated him. Yeah, and that was the bit that made me, yeah, and that was the bit that made me go, oh, fuck, what's this then? Yeah, she <laughs> must know? actually be kind of on edge about this to, to be nice to Blake. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, we, we've talked, like, Blake is sort of working off the assumption that she's the completely normal human one mm. without programming, and she seems to be working off that assumption. And, like, I, I don't know if I still buy that, and so it's interesting to, to think if... If that's not her, like, like you know, how much this conquest aura might contradict or exacerbate programmed, for, for want of a better word, tendencies that she has, mm. um, and, and how much that sort of upsets her. You know, like, think about, like, if Blake, if Blake was told to, um, uh, you know, absorb uh, the energy of an incarnation of, like, patience, he'd probably be fucking miserable. Um, yeah. One other thing that it makes me think is, if your theory about, you know, Blake and, and Rose both being cut from the heirs or, or Blake kind of mentioned that he might have been cobbled together. Anyway, if they're both not whole people, uh, obviously when Blake was out of the mirror, he was getting shored up by spirits without even realizing, um, like, I don't know, maybe there's a, maybe this conquest aura is, is taking a more permanent place as part of her than, I don't know, than she thinks. Yeah. And the more she taps it, the stronger hold it gets or, or you know, it happens more quickly. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so Rose goes off to get ready, and the Cabal basically start to clean the house to make a better impression on the Thorburns, which is <laughs> I love very relatable. Is, I mean, I love that this is a magical world where it's like, it's very important that we clean the house for the yeah. magical reasons. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's so good. Yeah, um, so Blake and Alexis kind of end up uh, chit-chatting while they clean, and they start discussing um, Blake's tattoos. And it's interesting, I... I I really love the bit where Alexis doesn't really know how to feel about these tattoos. And she says, sucks. And Blake thinks, sucks. Such a simple word for an utterance she had so many subtle emotions into. And I really like that quote because this is a, mm. this is like a completely... It's one of the things I love about like science fiction and, and, and stories like this where it's this is a completely unique emotional situation that kind of doesn't exist in real life. And it allows you to kind of explore the ramifications of what this kind of would lead to, right? Where Alexis has made these tattoos, which although she doesn't remember them, uh, and although she didn't intend this, have kind of become emblematic of Blake's loss of humanity. And she has to kind of struggle with the fact that she's created that. It's so it's such a weird situation and such an interesting kind of emotional uh, pie to inspect. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, well, it's an emotional parfait. There's so many layers yeah. to do all of this. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, uh, we'll go into that a little bit more as we get into the the really juicy part of this conversation that they have. Um, 
but it, yeah, you're right. It's a great, it's a great sort of way to explore all these things through a very fantastical thing that's also so grounded. Um, it's mm. exactly what you know sci-fi and fantasy uh, are about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Blake and Alexis keep talking, and and Blake basically finally has a chance to emphasize to Alexis how much she means to him, how lucky he feels to have her in his life. Yeah, I mean, it's a real tearjerker, this whole yep. section. Like, uh, Blake just, he really lays his heart out, and uh, it's, it's yeah, it's very, it's it's pretty heart-wrenching. Yeah, it's very emotionally intense. Um, and I wonder, knowing what Blake is now, is this the first time that he's actually had a chance to tell Alexis how much she means to him, right? Um, uh, interestingly, uh, she pauses for quite a long time after this, and it's it's unclear whether it's because she's kind of a bit overwhelmed by the emotion of, of the situation or if sh- something else is happening. I mean, you know, Blake is obviously <laughs> not human, uh, right? And and so it mm. must be an interesting situation to kind of come to terms with. Yeah, I mean, the pause was so long, I actually started to think there were, like, shenanigans going on the first mm. time I read it. And I thought, oh, God, Blake's laying this all out and Alexis has been, like, <laughs> she's mind had a heart attack she's or even, something. She's not even hearing him. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, thank goodness it wasn't that. Um, but like, yeah, this, it would just be, I think it's the overwhelmed thing. Cause this would be so much to process. Cause in the visions we saw and everything, like we know that Alexis pretty much got hit the hardest by Blake being erased. Like she was crying at night and didn't know why. And there was basically a bigger Blake shaped hole in her life than, than anyone else's. Yeah. And so then to, to sort of be meeting Blake and to know that there's this person that meant so much to you and like you know that but you don't feel it would already be kind of confusing and rough and, and presumably that's why she didn't come and talk to him because she's still trying to figure that shit out. Mm. And then to have that person sort of come up to you and lay on how much you mean to them uh, as well would just really, like I can, I can just see how it would be so overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, definitely overwhelming is a good word for it. Um Luckily, uh, Evan comes along to uh, bring us out of this very emotionally intense passage with some nice, light, Evan-based humour. Um, <laughs> and the Thorburns are uh, on their way. Yeah, I mean, as always, thank thank God for Evan. Uh, he's he's used really well here to, uh, you know, pick pick out pick us up off the floor. Like you know, ev- everyone was crying on the floor after that last passage, yep. and so we use Evan to sort of put us back in the state where we can process the rest of the chapter. Yeah. Um, Evan starts talking about how uh, a good name for the two of them would be Bird Boy and Tree, and it's, it's very fun. It's good. It's a good passage. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd watch it, read it. I guess I am reading it. Yeah, I, I guess um... packed. Uh, the subtitles were packed as Bird Boy and Tree. <laughs> um, yeah, and I actually wanted to focus on on one sort of line from this this whole segment uh, where uh, Evan says Rose is really scared. Uh, and Blake says, I believe it. Uh, scared is good. The problem is when scared leads to her acting like Molly. We need to do something. Act. And uh, Evan responds, we will, but we've got to survive first. And uh, with me being dead and you being um, you, the surviving part is something we should work on. <laughs> and uh, Blake sort of concedes the point. Yep. And, I just, and it I, is a good point. <laughs> I mean, it is. And I, I think that's what I love about this is like, Blake and Rose just had that whole conversation about he's the little warrior who won't stop. And he seems to have kind of processed none of it yet because he's immediately like, "Mm, she's being like Molly and she's not doing anything. We need to do things. We need to be Mm -hmm. out there. And it's like, did you not 
hear what she just said? Like, this is exactly the problem. And, and you know, this is something Blake has sort of identified as a problem with himself. And uh, luckily, Evan knows how to get through to him. Uh, yeah. So, well, you know, it's I think... just that she, he's more willing to listen when Evan says it than when Rose says it, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, either way, the point is, like, keep, keep him with Evan, because Evan can actually get through to him. Um, yeah. Evan, Evan's about the only person who can call him out on his bullshit, and he'll, like, take it in. Yeah. Um, now, I want to pull this bit out. So, so Blake basically sees the uh, family arriving, and he says, Dad, Mum, Uncle... Aunt Jessica, Aunt Steph, and Aunt Irene, with just about all the kids in tow, minus Paige and Molly. So Molly's absence obviously makes sense because she's dead. Um, it would be stranger, I think, if Molly was there. But um, the the thing that's interesting to me is is Paige's absence still, mm. um, which isn't unexpected. But it is. I it just it makes me very curious how she's doing as Isadora's apprentice now and what what's going on there. Yeah, I'm very curious to to learn more about what the hell's going on in Toronto. I feel like we've heard suspiciously little um, about what I would think should be a dumpster fire by this point. Um, Yeah. And especially the fates of Jacobs Bell and Toronto seem so intertwined. There are so many groups with stakes in both. It seems like the shit leaking out of either would would spill a little bit into the other, particularly as Jacobs Bell's going through this transformation period. Mm. So, um... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It is like I, I kind of feel like we'll hope. Well, I hope we go back to Toronto at some point in the story just to see um, what a shitstorm it is, and, and Paige will no doubt be in a bit of the center of it, thanks to Isadora. Like I can imagine <laughs> she got the call to come out with the rest of the family. They're like, "Oh, we're all going to Jacobsville," and Paige is like, well, "I'm good." Yeah, I I'm got going, my own shitstorm to deal with. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the family rock up and Rose greets them at the door and she is perfectly on form. She's very mm-hmm. intimidating. I, I like that you can really feel the, the kind of the conquest vibe from her. I mean, she was obviously intimidating and aggressive to Blake before, but she just feels, I mean, Blake says poised, which is a pretty good word for it. Just kind of everything's exactly as it should be with rose she she's just exactly where and who she should be she feels so in command in control uh like i i want to highlight this line from like just as she comes down the stairs uh blake thinks uh, i met rose's eyes uh they were pale with faint dark circles under her eyes blonde hair tied back until there wasn't a hair out of place a white blouse and ivory brooch uh ivory brooch her shirt crisp i was rumpled tattered my skin riddled with dark lines and faint splashes of color my hair once blonde was dark and the grime had now uh, was dark with the grime that had now impregnated it Mm. and um i mean you know we've already called out one instance and i think there's a bunch of others like there's a lot of imagery in this chapter that really sort of distinguishes rose and blake and this is the most overt (laughs) yeah um as she sort of comes down here and she's feeling particularly conquesty and prim and, and and proper and perfect and then blake is just like a fucking mess Yep. Um, uh, like, I just, I, I'm very interested to see how this, the fact that now that these two are sort of cooperating in the loosest sense of the word, according to Rose, <laughs> um, and, and there's so much, there's been so much effort to uh, separate them visually in our heads. Like, I wonder exactly where we're going with that. I can't imagine anywhere good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine that it's going anywhere good for sure. Um, interestingly, the rest of the family is also kind of contrasted to her, right? Um, Roxanne, yeah. who, I mean, Roxanne's only 12, but even so, she's a Thorburn. She's making some kind of feeble attempts at Rose's psyche that you can kind of see would work on 
maybe somebody else or Rose if she wasn't, you know, conquested up right now. And it's just mm. not working at all. Um, similarly, Uncle Paul is talking through some of these avenues of attack on the house that they have, and Rose is so clearly unfazed by any of it. She's just able to basically let it all wash over her. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's where you really get the conquest vibes from her in this whole conversation yeah. for me is the way this just all completely washes over her. They, they, they try all these angles of attack and like really the only thing, the only emotion she displays is impatience. Mm. Uh, like nothing gets a rise out of her aside from just the general feeling of like oh, you you're wasting my time with this <laughs> yeah shit. exactly the most uh, the most thing is just irritation that this is what yeah. she has to spend her time on exactly and, and that just feels so conquesty it's just she's she she comes across as so above above it all that yes. the only reason she feels any emotion about this is because it's wasting her time Yes, but of course, uh, Conquest came across as above it all, and he very much, that was no. uh, a lot of bravado, so, you know. Well, I mean, she's she's intentionally gone up to tap into that bravado, so I mean, yeah. like, oh, yeah, obviously we know that's all it is, but um, these are innocent Thorburns, so. Yeah, yeah, so it's probably working on them. Um, I want to touch on this line, by the way, where Rose says, Uncle P, you have no idea what I've been doing with this past few weeks. And he says, believe me, I actually think I have an idea. Which, it does feel <laughs> just like, again, Thorburn bravado, where he's just like, oh yeah. Um, but it's very tempting to to read more into it. Like, Sandra oh, yeah. or Alastair, I wouldn't put it past them for them to have awoken one or two of the Thorburns as a, you know, big brain play. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. This could just be him absolutely not understanding what she's been through the past few It feels like weeks. a red herring, right? But I, I just I want to buy into yeah, it. I know. I, I'm the same. Like, it, it's impossible to read this and not have your tinfoil rustle a little bit. Cause yeah. it's, um, and, and I think that's pro- pro- probably the reason I don't believe this is because it's so overt that I'm like, yeah. okay, this, like, you know, this is either a hint that's going to deliver in very few chapters because it's so obvious or... um like you know it could just be misleading us because it's it's hard not to read this and immediately jump to is he awoken what's going yeah. on yeah definitely um i doubt it though i i just i doubt it but it would be fun to see what would happen there <laughs> um so all the real thorburns are talking while blake the fake is uh reading through the documents that they've brought and he kind of realizes that they're planning on having rose um involuntarily committed like to an insane asylum yeah um, and so one thing I want to I want to jump in with here is like Blake obviously has to do his uh, classic pretend I'm not in the room trick to to get the documents to appear on his side of the mirrors, um, and he notes that it's hard harder for him to do it this time. Uh, mm. like it actually takes him two tries. And I mean, obviously, the simple explanation for this is that he's a couple of spirits down, so it's harder for him to do anything. Yeah. Um, but that that ties in interestingly to like we've sort of talked about this ability as something where you know he phases out kind of and relinquishes his grip on the on, on existing and on the universe yeah anyway you'd think that would be easier when he's when he's weaker because he has less holding him down so like it's an interesting uh it, it's just like an interesting sort of interaction between these two concepts like i wonder mm. if maybe we've misunderstood this ability slightly or, or something yeah i mean i guess it's something to watch as we go forward yeah um, one, the thing I like about this, about having Rose involuntarily committed, it reminds me of when Blake was in the police station being interrogated and Duncan would ask him a question like, oh, have you spoken to goblins or demons or gremlins? And he can't lie. So he has to say yes. Like yeah. getting a practitioner 
to to have to make people think they're crazy is like seems like a, a standard play that you would do against a practitioner and it seems like it's a pretty good strategy well i mean it, it's it's mentioned that duncan is part of this operation so like he's just going back to his old yeah. playbook. <laughs> just mean, a is, classic duncan move yeah this is a classic duncan maneuver uh yeah and, and yeah you're right it's i mean it should be it's it's a really simple one to pull off as you <laughs> yep. said a really simple and like annoying like a very annoying plan to do um yeah so yeah blake tells evan what they're planning and evan tells rose and uh rose kind of pulls some some big blake energy here by basically saying to blake yeah i'll go along with the plan and they could just fucking deal with the consequences as a result (laughs) which who knows what that even means yeah i i'm wait does she mean I mean, yeah, there's a hundred things that could mean. I'm so excited to see where it goes next chapter. Um, it felt very, I mean, this is a, a thing Doctor Who does a lot. And this this is a reference that probably won't make sense to a lot of people. But like, mm. it, like Doctor Who always does this where it's like, uh, you know, the, the bad guys have set up a big trap and the Doctor's just always like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's go into it and see what happens. Because, you know, <laughs> he's always so overconfident and like, you know, usually manages to walk into the trap and still beat it. And it kind of feels like that's how Rose feels right now. She's like, a trap? okay it's their funeral like you know let them have me uh yeah, it's um, it, it like the extreme confidence that comes with that sort of thinking is is very fun to read yes which i don't know if it's appropriate to be so confident about these plans but i mean we'll see i guess i mean a fun interpretation of what she means by consequences could be like what if she's just like gonna be like okay blake you know what you do what you want have access to whatever you want in the house it's all yours go fucking nuts like that would be Considering we've just sort of heard exactly how she feels about him, it'd be funny if her idea of consequences for everyone else is her being like, okay, well, I'm going to let Blake at him. The thing I would like about that the most is we've kind of assumed that, and Blake has assumed that Rose being so aggressive towards him has been a result of her conquest energy, but maybe when she's juiced up on conquest energy, she's more willing to just let him off the chain. (laughs) That would be quite a funny twist. Yeah, uh, yeah, it'd be... Uh, yeah it'd be pretty good uh it it like makes sense in a lot of ways and also just be kind of hilarious like yeah uh, i hope that is it i mean we'll see next time right yeah um but before then before we uh wrap up this episode uh we we got a confirmation elliot that the uh the uh, thing that we saw last chapter elbus ilbus is uh definitely a djinn um and so yeah. we thought we'd dive into some djinn lore to to find out more about them yeah, and there's actually, I, I, I came up with a bunch of interesting stuff here. And I mean, you know, djinn are a big thing in myths and, and legends and, and, you know, modern fantasy as well. So this this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. But um, yeah, I mean, so djinn obviously originated in like pre-Islamic Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of got absorbed into Islam uh, as, as Islam sort of took off in that area. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a bit. But basically their powers are usually like invisibility, shape-shifting, um there's lots of reports of them being able to like teleport um and like a bunch of other stuff like they're pretty they're pretty much all powerful um mm. in a lot of ways and mm. um really what what separates them uh from like angels and demons in in sort of old myths is that they're not specifically good or evil like they're they're actually a human in a lot of ways like they're not immortal they have children they eat and drink um but they have they have sort of angel or demon level powers as well um right okay so in fact, like there's actually, as we sort of move into Islam, um, sort of taking over and adapting them into into its mythology, there's actually a lot of crossover between angels and jinn. Um, 
Right, so, which obviously is very applicable for Johannes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, Jin at one point was sort of this sort of catch-all for powerful supernatural entity, and it actually the term sort of applied to the traditional understanding of Jin as well as angels and demons. Um, I, that's kind of a brief summary of a very complicated passage mm. of time, like myths changing. Mm. Um, but obviously, I mean, you know, the, the concept that they can be or they have historically been intermingled with the, the ideas of angels and demons obviously seems like it could be important uh, to, to pact as it moves forward. Mm. Um, but yeah, so as Islam sort of came around, Jin's powers were kind of nulled a bit uh, to you know sort of make room for monotheism and the idea that, that God is like above it all and, and spirits aren't as powerful. Uh, but then as Islam sort of spread, the, they sort of came back up again and... and you know, we're again seen as comparable to like angels or demons, but there's still that crux of they're not inherently good or bad. They they're they're sort of like humans. Like they they can sin, and and you know they could be good, they could be bad. In fact, in a lot of interpretations, they're going to be judged like humans when they die, mm. uh, and they can go to heaven or hell. Mm. Interesting. So they they're kind of like uh wild cards basically in the con- in the conflict between um angels and demons in much the same way humans are. Mm. We've obviously talked a bit about that, that sort of special place humans often occupy in these sorts of mythologies. Uh, Jin are basically explicitly in that same niche. That's so interesting. I love the idea mm. of other others, I guess, being similarly uh, wild cards in the system. Yeah. And, and, and so in, in some of the Islamic creation myths, they were actually made the day before humans. Like there was, there's one I was reading that was like Wednesday... Uh, the angels were made, Thursday, the jinn were made, and then basically, you know, this is, uh, days were, well, days went for thousands of years back here, like, I don't know, I think it's a translation issue, mm. um, but anyway, so the jinn actually sort of formed a society, kind of like humans, uh, but they were committing tons of sin, and God kept, you know, telling them to get their shit together, and they kept mm-hmm. not listening, so uh, God sent all the angels down, who smited almost all of them, but left some survivors I don't know, just like, it was like a vindictive, like... It's a classic uh, you know, Old Testament move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and so then God, after that, created the humans. So, like, you could kind of view Jin as, like, humans 1.0, and then mm. wait, we're the 2.0, and they're sort of more powerful in every way. But, um, like, as, as we said, all those big things are the same. They they have children, they need to eat and drink, mm. um, but they're kind of also partially angel. So, they're kind of like half angel, half human, is almost mm. how you could view it. Mm. Um. Uh, yeah, and, and so then, like the as we sort of get into the real meat of, of Islam, I think this is where it gets uh, even more interesting. Um, so, like Muhammad was actually the prophet for jinn as well as humans. Like the the jinn that were left on Earth after God smited well smote yep. most of them. Um, I don't know. Uh, were sort of saved by Muhammad and, and brought into Islam and, and have the potential to get into heaven now as well. Um, but Muhammad isn't the only prophet uh, that has to deal with jinn. Uh, there was another one. Uh, King Solomon uh, in Islam is a prophet who had a lot to do with the jinn specifically, which, of course, you know, Solomon has been explicitly mm. mentioned in Pact as uh, the originator of humans not being toys. Um, yeah, so, so um, Solomon was actually the king of the jinn uh, in Israel as well as, as the humans. Um, and in fact, God tasked him with managing or having control of like the bad jinn. So basically the ones that sinned and, and became evil were basically Solomon's slaves. Um, so, I mean, that, that has interesting implications. Like tying jinn to Solomon um, would obviously matter a lot in the world of pact. 
Yeah, and it, it kind of makes me have this vibe of Johannes. I mean, we talked about Johannes being a bit of a revolutionary, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And I love the idea of Solomon worked with Jin, and now Johannes is working with Jin, kind of I mean, setting it, him it, up as a Solomon 2.0 kind of vibe. Yeah, it definitely would feed into his messiah complex, uh, you know, him him stepping or retreading, from his perspective, retreading the footsteps of someone like Solomon. I can yeah. definitely see... You know, I can see him making the connection just as much as anyone else. To yeah. be honest with you, <laughs> um, yeah. So That's great. It, it, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting stuff in in how this ties into the story in Johannes, like between Solomon, uh, this sort of fact that they're like almost pseudo angels, such halfway between angel and human, such just the original superhumans. Um, I'm going to be very interested with with this knowledge to see where how they end up fitting into pacts because it seems like we're setting them up to be players in Jacob's Bell. Mm. Well, to find that out, we'll have to continue reading the story, I suppose. <laughs> um, and that's the ep- end of our episode on Malfeasance 11.5. If you want to leave us your thoughts on how Jin might play into the rest of Pact or on anything else, the best place to do that is in our discussion threads, which will be linked down in the show notes down below. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if if you need more in your life, apart from just talking about Pact, head mm-hmm. on over to doofmedia.com and there's... So much more stuff there that you can enjoy. Yeah, people on the podcast network talk about all kinds of things that aren't just packed. Um, Ward. Actually, yeah, Ward is a big one. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> uh, we've we've actually also got one of our Doof and Chill streams, which are our kind of uh, Patreon exclusive hangout streams for everyone who donates at the five dollar and up level. Yes. I believe it is um, where we all just kind of hang out with our patrons and do all kinds of cool stuff. We'll have a fun activity. Uh, this very Friday in US time or Saturday Australia time. Um, If you want more info on that, head on over to doofmedia.com or if you want to get access to that, go to patreon.com slash doofmedia. It's one of the tiers on there, so um, check it out. Yes, and of course, as we always say, Wabo has a Patreon. We (laughs) need it for the stories that we all love. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. contribute what you can to to him as well because we need more of these stories. I think everyone's in agreement about that, right? Uh, yeah, I know I am, and that means we all are. Um, a quick note as well, uh, we're we're about to go into a pretty busy time for both of us, Elliot, as we ramp yeah. up for uh, PAX, which is a big, or Melbourne International Games Week, which is a big games week for the games industry, which we are both kind of a part of. Um, yeah. Means it's going to be a bit more hectic around here for the next few weeks, uh, and we probably won't have time to do scheduled live reads. Although, Elliot, I think you'll be doing some maybe impromptu live reads. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to see how I, I go with time permitting. Um, I mean, obviously the thing is we're going to be recording episodes in advance because we'll yep. both be away. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, anything that I sort of am posting will not correlate at all with what episodes uh, are out. Um, like I might be reading a chapter that's like four chapters ahead of what we have, uh, most recently published. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll see how I go. Um, I, I'm, I don't want to commit to anything right now, but, uh, there might be some things, so Keep your eye on the Twitter if you're interested, but um, as a general rule of thumb, there's probably not going to be anything reliably there until until the 12.5 live read in, in almost a month. Yep. Um, but in the meantime, keep your eyes on the Twitter. As Elliot said, that Twitter is at MediaMTPodcast, and we'll probably post updates there if anything changes. Um, but mm-hmm. for now, 
that's the end of our show. Uh, the next episode will be Malfeasance 11.6, and that will be coming out on Friday the 20th. So we will see you then. See ya. See ya.